Another Way to Play, Episode 8. Hey, this is Christian Peter, real estate innovator, investor, and entrepreneur. And if you want to learn to make your next chapter in your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Trusina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is one of my first real estate mentors, Christian Peter. Uh, he is located in San Diego, California. Uh, he and I actually got to know each other originally because I was a Airbnb guest, uh, which I'll tell that story in the episode later. Uh, but I was renting a, a part of his house while he was he and his family were staying in the other part. He is a broker, invest investor, a real estate entrepreneur, and visionary. He's involved in a number of different uh, companies and strategies in the real estate space, including Airbnb rentals, which we didn't touch on due to time constraint. Uh, but he's also part of a, or starting a company called OfferBot, which will hopefully simplify the offer and negotiation process between buyers and sellers. And in this episode, he's going to talk about why knowledge is not just power. He's calls himself a ready, fire, aim guy, and he'll explain what that is. So listen out for that one. Um, he believes there's no such thing as pestering. So take a listen for that portion of the conversation. I found that really interesting. And he also outlines his morning routine. He calls it his saver five. Uh, so hopefully you can pull some value out of that one and apply it to your morning routine as well. Before we get into this episode, remember, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to chat with you and get to know you a little bit better and find out ways that I can make the podcast better uh, for you, what kind of guests I should be bringing on, what kind of questions I should be answering them and the like. So in the show notes below, I have my Calendly link. Click it, get on the calendar. Let's have a chat for 15 minutes. I'd like to get to know you. I'd like you to get to know me. And hopefully we can together make this podcast even better. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Christian Peter. So Christian, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and bringing us your story. Really appreciate you sitting down with us. Thank you, Hans. I'm excited to be here. For those of you who don't know Christian, he and I have known each other actually for a pretty long time. I actually first met him because he was my Airbnb host of all things. Back when I was training for my Olympic rowing days, uh, we would go down to San Diego and need a place to stay while we would train out in the Chula Vista Otay Lake. Um, and Christian was one of two large houses on Airbnb. And long story short is we rented half their house and they were kind of enough to let us stay while they stayed in the other half. And we developed a friendship and then a business partnership. And, and that was back, I think, in like 2014. And so we've known each other for at least that long. Yeah, definitely. It's been five years now. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Well, thanks again for sitting down with us here. And why don't you tell, uh, dive back into your background a little bit. You've done a lot of real estate, a lot of things in the industry and around the industry. So why don't we take it back and build a little context here, you know, back 
as far as you want to your high school days or maybe your first investment and um, and then we'll start from there. Sure. Sounds good. Well, you know, going back um, into high school, I, I actually live in the same city I graduated from. Um, I went to Benita Vista High School back in the uh, late 80s and um, got excited about real estate. I think when I asked my dad um, in the in that time frame um, what he paid for the house that we lived in um, and that they still live in. And, you know, he said $22,000 and I was like, $22,000, but the one down the street just sold for 125, you know, that's like, you know, a hundred thousand dollar profit. That's, that's incredible. I mean, especially to some kid who's 18 years old, that's like the, you know, a dream come true. And so I asked my dad, well, why didn't you buy two houses? And he's like, well, I, I couldn't afford to buy two houses. And that answer kind of, you know, is a, I think a, an answer that most people give is that, you know, they, they don't have the, um, I guess the, the wherewithal to look into the future and say like, wow, this, you know, this is going to be a really good investment. And, you know, I might be able to, um, at some point down the line, I guess this was probably 18, 19 years later, um, you know, gain a hundred thousand plus dollars in equity. Um, so that really piqued my interest back then. And I, I got excited and I was like, wow, you know, I think that this real estate thing might be pretty interesting. Um, and it just so happened, you know, in the late eighties, uh, everything was booming and, you know, prices were going up and then, um, we got into the into the early 90s and, and things crashed um, and it became a, a buyer's market to say the least and there was foreclosures everywhere and um, you know I remember thinking like well maybe real estate isn't the place to be um, but at that point I was you know entering college at UC San Diego I didn't have a, a whole lot of means to go out and do anything but I was always you know interested in in real estate and kind of the um, the enamored that it held for, you know, being able to create wealth, um, seamless, seamlessly, like, um, you know, through the equity accumulation over time. So, um, I remember buying the, the Carlton sheets, um, tapes for buying homes with no money down. And this was like in the night, in the early nineties, probably 91, 92. Um, and I purchased those tapes online from like a late night infomercial, um, for $189, which that back then was like, you know, two or three weeks worth of pay for me. Um, but I got the tapes like, you know, four to six weeks later and I sat down and I listened to them all and I went through and did the, the homework that they provided. And most of it was coming through newspapers at that point and trying to find um, motivated sellers and, and um, you know, talking to them and figuring out what you could do in order to uh, purchase their home creatively. Um, so I tirelessly went through the newspapers for the next probably three, four weeks and circled all the uh, the places that looked interesting and called the owners and quickly found out that buying a property with no money down, especially for a kid who was in his early 20s, was probably not going to happen because, um, A, I didn't have any any uh, means to purchase the property, um, and B, I just wasn't really great on the phone. I'd be like, hey, you want to sell me your property for free? And, not, you know, usually got a click or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't the response that I was looking for. So, um, I got a little bit frustrated and then I graduated from college from UC San Diego in 93 um, and was looking for a, a job in my um, my major, which was computer science. And it just so happened in uh, 92 that General Dynamics relocated and sold pretty much their entire um, company in, in uh, San Diego, which was where I'd interned throughout college. And so my, my post-collegiate my post you know, work went away. Not only that, but there was like 5,000 other computer science engineers that had been laid off or 
um, lost their jobs from General Dynamics, who were, you know, basically looking for jobs now in San Diego. So it really kind of stymied the the job market for me. Um, and I did get a couple of opportunities. One was in Arizona, I think, where a, a company wanted to hire me, and another one was somewhere back east. And I just remember thinking, like, I don't want to leave San Diego. You know, here I am, 23 years old, and I'd rather, you know, stay here. So I continued bartending for the next few years. And um, in 1994, uh, I opened up the paper again and thought, well, I'd go look for, you know, for a place. So um, I opened the classifieds and I looked down and I saw a condo for sale for $24,000. And I was like, that can't be right. That must be a misprint. It must be like $124,000. Um, so I called up the real estate agent for Prudential and she's like, oh yeah, it's a HUD foreclosure. And, you know, um, they're actually going to do an auction on it tomorrow. And if you'd like to put in a bid, you know, you're going to need to do so tonight. And I was like, oh my God. So I drove down to San Ysidro, which is right next to the, I think it's the last exit before the, um, the Mexico border. And I drove down there and parked and got out of my car and walked to the address that she gave me. And lo and behold, the door was open. So I uh, went inside and there was this nice Mexican family eating dinner. Um, and I looked at them and they looked at me and I was like, is the house for sale? And I don't think they understood English and they kind of looked at me weird. So I was like, this is probably not the right place. <laughs> um, so I turned around walked out and called the uh, real estate agent and said, Hey, the address you gave me doesn't seem to be right. And she said, Oh, well, that's the one that's posted in the, the HUD um, sheet there. So, you know, maybe there's something else or maybe it's one of the other ones in that complex. And there's like 200 plus units in the complex. So I decided, Hey, I might as well walk around and take a look. So, I walked about two buildings over and I happened to see a, a HUD sign posted in one of the windows and I looked inside the place and I looked, you know, vacant and just like a studio condo. And I was like, Oh, this one must be it. And I think it was like 2033 unit number D um, was uh, the actual address. And the, the property that she gave me was 2013 unit number D. So I was like, Oh, I can see where they had little typo there. Um, but anyway, I called her back up on the phone and I said, Hey, I, you know, I think I found the unit and it looks like it's okay. And I'd like to put a bid in. And she goes, well, what do you want to bid? Um, and I said, well, whatever the minimum is, right? 24,000. She's like, yeah, but it's an auction. So usually people bid it up and you, you know, you want to make sure that you get the property. So I thought, okay, well, what do you recommend? And she said, well, why don't you do like $26,600, something like that. So that it's a little bit unusual. And if somebody bids 26 or 26.5 or something, you'll get it. So I put in the uh, the bid and the next day she called and said, Hey, you were the only bid. You got the property. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Completely shocked me. And I was like, okay, now, now what? And she's like, well, you need to go get a loan. So I was like, Oh, okay. How does this work? And I went down to my credit union and filled out the loan application and gave them all my bank statements and, um, W2s and, um, you know, about a week later, the loan officer calls me back and says, yeah, you, you don't make enough money. Because at that point I was bartending. I think that what I had on paper each year was about $11,000 in income, but I made like two or three times that in tips. You know, the tips were basically just used and, and not reported. So on, on paper, it looked like, you know, I don't qualify for a $26,000 loan. And I was like, how can that be? I think the payments came out to $186 a month. Um, and I was like, man, this is, this is insane. So I had to figure out what to do. Um, and you know, I didn't really want to ask for, for help with this, but that was kind of my only option at that point. So I, um, tuck my, my tail between my legs and went home and, and sat down with my dad and said, dad, would you co-sign with me, um, on this loan? And 
my dad is probably the most conservative person I know. And of course, this first answer is absolutely not. <laughs> and he doesn't want to take on any risk that's unwarranted or unneeded. Um, but then he kind of said, well, what, tell me about it a little bit. What are you going to do with this property? What, and I said, that is $26,000. And, um, you know, it's, the payments are going to be 186 bucks a month and I can rent it for at least 400, $450. And the HOA is only a hundred and like $10. And so, you know, I'll be making like a hundred bucks a month from this thing. Um, and my dad was like, okay, well, what's your plan B? And I was like, what do you mean plan B? <laughs> um, and he goes, well, you know, nothing ever works out according to plan. So uh, what happens if you don't rent it or whatever? And I said, well, I'll just get a property manager and, you know, pay them 10% and they'll rent it out for me. He's like, okay, fair enough. And, you know, he's like, you make enough, you, you can make the 200 bucks. So, you know, I'm not on the, I'm not on the hook for this monthly payment. And so he and my mom co-signed on the first studio condo that I ended up buying and Back at that point too, it was great because HUD foreclosures, the FHA loans that you got for first time buyers were, was a $500 down payment, which I managed to have $500 in my bank account. So I, I ended up buying the property for basically $500 down, which I felt was as close to a no money down deal as you could possibly get. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was my first foray into, into the, uh, the real estate realm of investment and, and, um, you know, it turned into a, a great investment. I sold it about four years later and, you know, ended up doubling, more than doubling my money. I think I sold it for $62,000. And then I took that money and exchanged it into another property and um, managed to play my game of Monopoly, which, you know, was buying condos typically and um, selling them a couple of years later and taking the profits and converting them into houses. And then eventually taking the profits from the houses that I sold and converted them into um, apartment buildings and um, some office space and and some land and um, some other investments that we made along the way. So that's kind of my my journey in a nutshell for you. Wow! So it all it all started with a typo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that's you know it's kind of crazy because usually what will happen you know and and nine times out of ten I would have been like oh they gave me the wrong address and got in my car and drove away and never thought you know another thing about it but it's always the the you know, the little epiphanies that happen along the way that kind of take you from, oh, you know, I'm going to, instead of, instead of going right, I'm going to go left here and see what the path takes me. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times people need to just act. They need to get out of their, um, their comfort zone and say like, okay, what happens if I was to do this? Or what happens if I'm to, you know, look over here or do something differently? And, you know, that property that I bought had been um, on the HUD auction for, I believe it was the last four or five months. Oh, and wow. Of course, nobody had ever been on it. And it started at 42 or 45,000, somewhere around there. And along the way had been reduced in price, you know, month after month after month because it never got any bids. So, you know, call it luck or call it, um, you know, the, uh, the preparation of, of knowing kind of um, or going out of my way to try to, to find something that wasn't there. Um, I was able to come up with some equity right off the bat, which they say that luck is, you know, when preparation meets, you know, hard work and you, mm -hmm. you, know, you put yourself in that position to be able to capitalize on something um, that just, you know, magically appears. But I believe that that's, that has a lot to do with it because if I had never bought those Carlton sheets, tapes and, and workbooks, um, I would have never opened up the paper. And if I never opened the paper, I never would have seen the $24,000 property. And, you know, it's just kind of the, the dominoes fell into place for this. 
Yeah, there's there's such an amazing sort of chain reaction that you just touched on, uh, which is which is your education, some self development. You would even call it um, with your Carlton Sheets tapes to even let you think that you should open up the paper to then look at this typo HUD property and then ultimately put the bid in. So so going back to that uh, question of you know you you went left when others went right. You had some in indication in your life or in, in your head that uh, you should keep looking at a couple of those buildings, see if there was a typo and you found the HUD thing in the window and, and ultimately got that first property and, and off you went on your real estate journey. Is there another area that you feel like uh, you went left when others went right and it, and it changed your trajectory in a big way? Definitely. And, you know, the, that same mentality um, took me in a completely different direction because when I got into real estate, it was all about investments and I never wanted to be um, a, a real estate agent or broker per se. Um, but I found that most of the real estate agents and brokers that were out there had no idea how to work with investors and um, even worse, didn't know as much as I did. Um, and I felt that, you know, that was just a, um, kind of a black eye for the entire industry was, um, the people that were supposed to be advising me on how to make offers and, and what to do didn't even understand, um, the purchase contracts or, um, you know, the, the things that needed to happen for an investor to, to be able to make money. So I, I ended up going, um, and getting involved in, uh, real estate brokerage and, and, uh, and getting, uh, coaching from Tom Ferry and his group. And that was one of probably the best decisions that I made back in the early 2000s was to, um, to get a coach and, and to be able to utilize that coach to grow from into the, into the real estate agent and, and subsequently broker that um, I became over the next three years. And it was just listening and doing the right things. And I feel that a lot of times people look at their lives and they just get, um, you know, completely distracted from their goals and what it is that they want to do and how it is they're going to get there. And, you know, the, my coach, when I first got into real estate, I, I closed 11 deals my first year, um, you know, typical commission-based deals. And, um, you know, three years later we were doing 75 and I was still buying and selling about 10, 15 properties a year. Um, but it was that getting out of my comfort zone again and saying like, okay, how do I become better at this? Um, and having that, um, that support group and just the, uh, the ability to be able to ask questions and, and, um, get, get the answers from people that had done it before. I remember going up to, um, to your neck of the woods, Hans, to, to Fairfield. And, uh, my, my coach at that time was Ty Leon Guerrero. And he basically took me and my brother through his entire operation, which was him and his brother-in-law, um, and showed us their entire real estate investment, um, portfolio from, you know, like A to Z, how they prospected by using mailers and how they had set up their printing presses in their garage and, and how they got their leads and how they um, had the phone set up and um, how they flipped things. And his brother was his um, project manager and contractor and he would go into the houses and completely rehab them. And then Ty would put them back on the market and sell them. And, you know, they had this great uh, operation going. So I came back to San Diego and I started printing out my mailers in my garage and sending them out. And lo and behold, six months later, you know, the, the phone was ringing and I was getting deals and it was great. So, um, but that, that um, ability to say, you know, to go, well, 
other people who've done it before and I can shortcut the, uh, the mistakes that are gonna get made um, and hopefully be able to save myself time and effort by uh, utilizing somebody that's done it before. Um, or the typical real estate agent is just like, hey, I'm, it's, I'm a one-man show, I can go out and do this myself and I know what it is I'm doing. I think that a lot of times you gotta step back and go like, okay, how, how quickly can I get from here to where it is I wanna be by utilizing other people and, and other people's talents and, and uh, expertise to get you where you wanna go. There's definitely a theme that uh, you've already hinted on, which is somewhat of this self-development. You've, you've gone in and you've educated yourself on um, not only a niche in the market, but a, a niche in the contracts and then um, finding out other ways through coaching programs and mentorships that uh, other people are succeeding in your industry and then, and then developing a system that works for you in your geography. In that vein, it sounds like you've, you've had a number of mentorships along the way and certainly been a mentor to me. Uh, what what are some pieces of advice relative to finding a mentor uh, that you would give someone if they were just starting out in a new industry? That's a great question. And, and every industry is so um, unique that you need to research who it is that you think is a, is a good fit for your personality and your business acumen and the lifestyle that you want to have. Because a lot of times too, I think you get a vision of something that you think you want. And by the time that you've got there, you realize that that was never really what you wanted to begin with. And I think a lot of times the, the ultimate, um, you know, word that people use for, for somebody that they think is, you know, where they want to be is a success, you know, or successful. And success means lots of different things to lots of different people. And I think that a lot of times success gets mistranslated into financial success, you know, monetary success or, um, but there's always a give and take on, on every single person and how they want to live their lives. And if that's, you know, if that's the pursuit of fame or fortune or, you know, um, leisure, uh, whatever that looks like. And I w I've always believed that you have to have that balance. Um, and you're never going to have complete balance because, you know, life is, is unpredictable. Um, you know, you might work your ass off 24 seven for, you know, 10 years in a row and, and then you burn out and you've got to take that time off and, um, you know, focus on what you need to do. But, uh, there's always that, that give and take. And, and I think that, um, I've learned a lot from, you know, some of the, the bigger names and the bigger people that I look to right now is like, I'd say like Tim Ferriss is a, as a good example from the four hour work week. And, um, you know, Gary V Gary Vaynerchuk is a, you know, a really good example. And he's been a keynote speaker at the Inman conference that I attend probably three times. Um, but I love listening to Gary. And, um, I feel like at this point, I like to hear people that are extremely passionate about what they do. Um, I really love listening to Ariana Huffington speak about, um, her life and, and how she gave her life to her business. And basically, um, you know, lost her marriage and, and, um, you know, her kids and everything else along the way and almost lost her life. I mean, she had been working like 48 hours nonstop and then basically passed out and smacked her oh head gosh. over the desk and yeah, would have, would have probably died had, uh, another employee not come in and found her. And now she's, now she's a huge advocate for rest and, and she put some, uh, napping rooms in every, every one of her office buildings. So, um, but you see different levels of success throughout your life. And, and again, you get a lot of, I think, pieces from different people and you can take those and, and, you know, one of my favorite books right now is tools of Titans that Tim Ferriss wrote. And he basically interviews about 
I don't know, hundred plus um, titans of industry and and um, you know not just industry but um, life and and um, you know uh, metaphysical. Right. Uh, spiritual here. leaders and business leaders and fitness leaders and all those types of people. Exactly. And it's great to get those, you know, really kind of bite-sized um, pieces of people's lives and what makes them who they are and, and uh, how they go about living their lives and, and being able to take the things that really resonate with you and, and, you know, incorporate those into your life as well. So um, rather than having one mentor or one, I think it's kind of good to go out there and reach out and take those pieces from, every single thing that you see that might be beneficial to you and try them out. And if they work for you, fantastic. And if they don't, no, no big deal, you know, go on to the next one. Absolutely. There's uh, a lot of value in that as far as getting out there and exploring and trying things. We were talking uh, just before we started the re recording of like, you have to get out there and just try some stuff as far as, and that was a sort of marketing conversation, but you know, the same goes for your life. Like you can do, you know, the four hour work week method and maybe a piece of that works for you. And then you go over and do the Hal Elrod's uh, miracle morning. And then instead of doing the whole morning, maybe there's two things out of that. And then you create your own, uh, situation that's custom made for you. And I think there's a ton of value in, in getting out there and giving things a shot and a fair shake more than just, uh, I did it three mornings in a row and now I'm tired. So I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> but, um, but if you really give it a true honest try and, and give it, uh, the attention it deserves and the, and the fair shake it deserves, you can almost always come out better, even if you dump the entire thing, cause then you'll know, something that works or may not work for you going forward. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, there's, there's so many amazing people in the world and they have all kinds of different rituals and different lifestyles and different things that they do from, you know, yoga to meditation, to physical fitness, to uh, reading. And, but you do see a common theme between the people that um, are, are um, successful in whatever it is they do. And they, they share a pattern and that pattern is, um, you know, they, they're very committed. They're very, um, they're very, uh, motivated and they, they, they go above and beyond what other people are willing to do. And even from your point of view, Hans, I mean, there was lots of great rowers that, you know, are on the team, but you know, you have the ability to go above and beyond and, you know, motivate yourself to do the, the extra work and get you to where you want to be and be able to, um, you know, to, to outlast your competition. Um, yeah, totally. So. And even in that vein, like rowing is interesting because you're literally all doing the same movement in a physically the same boat. Um, but every athlete is different and you're have different sizes and proportions and VO two max and recovery cycles. And you really have to find out what's going to work best for you because even down to the type of training that might be best for someone both physically and mentally, which I, think is a part that gets overlooked a lot of the time um you know sitting on a bike for three hours in a row absolutely killed me but i could go in and do you know 45 minutes to 60 minutes of really high intensity and come off almost more energized than when i started even though i was physically tired so finding that that sweet spot for you and taking in what works and then you know letting the rest go i think is hugely helpful and super great advice yeah, definitely. And, and understanding your body and your, um, your physical, you know, abilities and, and understanding too, when you need to rest and when you need to recuperate and, um, cause everybody's so different. And I think that as I've aged, I've learned that, 
um, you know, I can do a lot. My body's and everybody's body is an amazing tool. And the more that you train it, the, you know, the more things it can do, but you also need to know when to back off and your body tells you by, you know, getting tired or getting sick or doing, you know, those things. And you, you, you start to feel it. And, you know, just like you said, you know, different training, different coaches can teach you how to do different things, but a lot of times they understand, you know, one person's style or one per or, or there's one technique that works well for them. Um, we're not every person's going to respond to that same technique and, um, you understanding your body and you understanding your brain and, and your, you know, what, how much sleep you need each night. And I think that's a, that's a big thing too, is that in, in our crazy mixed up, you know, world that we live in right now, people think that, you know, not sleeping is, is a good thing. You know, they're like, Oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And you hear that more and more often, or I'm hustling or, you know, I'm going to back to the grind or I had eight cups of coffee today. And I'm just like, yeah, you people are ridiculous. You know, <laughs> listen to what it is you're saying. Get get it, get eight hours of sleep. Get ten hours of sleep, and and feel much better about yourself and what it is that you're doing. And you know, I think that at the most, and this is probably proven that people can spend two to three hours, um, you know, focused and and concentrated and getting something done. And the rest of the day is going to be basically you know wasted with other stuff that comes into your life that you need to take care of. So might as well focus on those two to three hours and make them as productive and as mm -hmm. as you can and, and uh, not worry about working 24 hours a day. Totally. Speaking of which you, you've sort of already hit on this, but do you have a, a success myth that you've heard? Um, Cause you follow a lot of the big sort of thought leaders in the entrepreneurship and, and success space. Um, what's one of the biggest success myths you've ever heard and, and how do you know it's a myth? That's a really great question. Yeah, there are a lot of um, different people out there that'll tell you different things, or there, you'll get you can get advice from just about anyone about how or or why you you should live your life a certain way. Um, and I I believe that the biggest myth is that, or, or I mean, people will say it all the time is that you know knowledge is power, and I hate that. I mean, that to me is probably the worst thing that you can do. People can spend their entire lives gathering knowledge, um, but knowledge without action is just, it's wasted. Um, and I'd, I'd rather have somebody try something a thousand times or, you know, in Thomas Edison's case, you know, uh, 10,000 times to make a light bulb um, than find out, you know, read every single book there is about electricity and, um, you know, and never get the chance to, to attempt to do something amazing and extraordinary. And so I always feel like I, I live by the philosophy of ready, fire, aim. Um, cause I find things all the time, you know, usually multiple times a day that I interest me, um, to the point where I want to find out more. I want to try them. Um, and some of them I act on and some of them I don't. And, and many of them are fantastic ideas. And many of them I look back, you know, um, throughout the years. And I'm like, wow, that was, that was something I should have probably focused a lot more time on. Um, to give you a, an example, um, I remember looking back and a, a couple of the investment properties that I bought were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And um, I got, I had a, um, uh, a real estate broker out there and she would send me the contracts. And here I am in California in San Diego and she'd send me the contracts via DocuSign. And I had never seen DocuSign before. And I remember thinking, this is going to be huge. Um, I can sit here in San Diego, sign this document by clicking my mouse and send it back to her. And my contract gets accepted. And then we go into escrow. And we didn't even have it in San Diego yet. 
Um, and I remember thinking, I've got to research this company. I've got to find out more. And I never did. Um, but looking back on it, I mean, it's now a multi-billion dollar company in San Francisco. And this was probably, I would say, 2001 or 2000 when I first started buying stuff in New Mexico. Um, and just looking back on it going like, okay, how could I be more involved with just the, that company as a whole? And it's going to take a different trajectory in your life, but you see little tidbits and pieces like that. And, you know, anybody can gain the knowledge and say, wow, this is great. But being able to act on it and being able to, um, set aside that time to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to act upon this, um, opportunity is more important than just the knowledge. Oh, love it. Yeah. So the action is the key. I think that's a classic Grant Cardone uh, thing is <laughs> massive action, 10x your action, right? Exactly. Uh, so get out there and try something and, and give it a shot. We are wrapping up here. So I want to be uh, fair about your time. So uh, one of my last questions is going to be, how do you draw the line between being persistent and pestering? Wow. Being persistent and pestering. I think that's probably one and the same. I think that you can, <laughs> uh, I get persistently pestered all the time. Um, I think the big thing is that you've just got to understand that it's a numbers game. And I think Hans, you know, you probably better than a lot of people understand that you're going to get 99 no's until you hit that yes. Um, you know, and it's the persistence that pays off at the end mm -hmm. of the day. Pestering people, there's no such thing, right? Because usually it's, the people that we're speaking with on a daily basis are going to do something typically. Um, and you just need to be in the right place when they decide that they want to do it. Um, pestering somebody, of course, they're going to get annoyed and they're going to ghost you or, or, you know, not want to do business with you. And um, you want to be able to build that trust factor with everybody that you do business. They got to like you. They got to trust you, you know, in order to, for them to want to do business with you. Of so course. being persistent is following up basically how they want to be followed up with in a time frame that they want to be followed up with. And pestering is just, I'm going to call you every day until you do something. So that would be my definition of those two. Awesome. Well, that's, that's really uh, a great definition. I think it's really helpful to remember it's, you know, if you want to get in front of uh, someone as a mentor or you want to close down a client or whatever, you, you have to speak the language they want to speak and speak it to them how they are hoping to hear it as opposed to the way you would want to hear it because there is a fine line there. And um, I think in this day and age, there's, there's kind of a 10x massive action option where you can just go call everyone three times a day and, and then you can sort of call someone once a year and there's probably a sweet spot in between for everybody. Let me um, shift us to our final segment of the show called our Focus Five, where I ask you five questions, same five questions every to every guest every week and uh, see what kind of answers you have. Are you ready? Sure, let's go. First question is, what book do you gift most often? The Richest Man in Babylon is probably the book that I gift most often. Um, mm. You know, as you know, it's a great, easy read. It takes about a day to get through, but the insight and the, the wisdom that's contained in that little, you know, 60 page book is the best that you'll get about financial freedom anywhere. If you could get an hour of somebody's time past or present and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I think the easy answer for me would be Abraham Lincoln. Um, you know, I just, I feel like he was the most amazing person um, and did a lot of things that were unconventional and just, 
you know, persevered more than anything. Um, going back to Springfield, Illinois, and seeing how he was basically persecuted by every political pundit at the time when he was president, and you know, just the cartoons that they drew of him and and the things that they did. It's just, it's absolutely horrendous to look back on it today and say, hey, this was the man who basically fought the war to end slavery, and here he is getting absolutely hammered by these politicians, you know, on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats at the time, um, for his views and what it was that he wanted to do. But he also, too, had to, you know, understand that these, you know, boys basically were going to be fighting against, you know, against each other in this war that, you know, nobody was going to really win, per se, um, and how to, you know, how to basically deal with that, the consequences that come from any war, especially a civil war where, you know, brothers are fighting brothers and, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to get some wisdom and, and just some the insights that he would have would be just second to none. And I, I would, I would love to hear, you know, in his own words, what was going through his mind as these things happened. Amazing. That's a great answer. In that vein, what is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? I think, and, and I don't know if this is a, probably a, um, an answer that, that fits most people, but I, I love doing challenging things physically. And whenever I talk to somebody and say, I'm going to do an Ironman, um, they always, the first thing out of their mouth was, um, you know, I could never do that. And, mm. you know, the, that to me, those limiting beliefs that people put on themselves is one of the weirdest things that I've ever um, come into contact with. They might not be able to. I mean, it's not a, a thing that everybody does, but at the same time, to say it without even trying um, really bothers me. And so I just don't like those limiting beliefs that people put on themselves. Great answer. So fourth question here, uh, what is your morning routine like? Can you, can you give us a glimpse of what, what you, how you get your day started? Yeah, definitely. And I think it probably this is somewhat thanks to you, Hans, for um, sending me Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. I, uh, I start my day off and, and his routine is fairly similar to mine. I actually call it the Saver Five. Um, and I start off my morning now, I get up at five typically, and I like to do yoga um, and also uh, watch TEDx's. And so I usually get through a couple of TED Talks, um, two or three, which are about 15, 20 minutes each. Um, and I get stretched out and feel pretty good about myself. And then, so each one of the SAVER fives is an acronym. The S for silence is for just meditation and um, the E is for exercise. After, after the yoga practice, I like to go to the gym, work out, um, typically a little bit more high impact stuff and um, some cardio. And then the V is for visualization. And for the last um, several months, I've visualized myself in my office building on the top of Hong Kong looking out over the world and actually with the app that I'm developing off robot, helping to make them the world move themselves and, and uh, being able to buy and sell properties from anywhere on the planet. The E is for exercise and the R is for reading. Um, I like to try to get an hour of reading in each day, although sometimes it's a little challenging to get that much, but I found that there's a great um, uh, entrepreneur and author, Derek Sivers, who um, has taken the books, his book collection and consolidated it online and kind of written a, Uh, synopsis of the last probably 60 to 80 books that he's read and he ranks them all from 10 out of 10 down to zero out of 10 Um, and I'm making my way down his list and it's been really insightful and I can get through his um, kind of quote-unquote cliff notes um, if you will in about 15 to 30 minutes and I get a really good overview of the book and 
Um, some of the books I've read before and some of them I haven't, but it's caused me to go out and buy a couple of new books that are now on my, uh, my Kindle app and, and get that done. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I've got the Saver 5 routine that I, I typically work on and that's my, my morning routine. And I know like with anything else, especially for an Olympic athlete, um, your day, when your day starts, it typically sets the stage for the rest of the day. And if I can get through those five things each day, then I know it's going to be a fantastic day. And for whatever reason, I don't get to one or two, then it kind of drags on me until the end of the day. And I, I want to, um, you know, drop what I'm doing for a second and, and go read for 30 minutes. And I find that that's a, a really good kind of break as well, because as you know, we all get pulled in one direction or another, but your uh-huh. routine definitely sets that stage for how that day and how that week and month are going to turn out. Completely. Completely. Well, Christian, thank you for all of this. Last question. Where is the best place online that we can find you the most? Oh, um, you've got a little bio on me at christianpeter.com. It's Christian with a K. Um, and people can find me at Offerbot, which is my new tech venture startup, which has been a, a labor of love here for the last couple of years and hopefully will turn into the way people move in the future. Awesome. So christianpeter.com. That's Christian with a K and then check out Offerbot as well. That is uh, linked on his website. Uh, It's a really pretty cool app for sending and receiving offers on real estate. So hopefully we'll get to see that and use that more and more. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hans. Well, Christian, thank you so much for sitting down and having this conversation and bringing bringing the heat today. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you. And that does it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Another Way to Play. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christian. One thing we didn't touch on was his Airbnb strategy. He's doing some really interesting stuff with Airbnb rentals, and he's actually just told me he got a Tesla and is including the Tesla in one of his Airbnb rentals uh, for uh, an extra charge so people can drive around San Diego in a Tesla Model 3 while staying in his Airbnb. So hit him up on his website if you want to hear more about that. And as well, I would love to hear from you too. So hit me up in the show notes, hit my Calendly link. Let's have a chat. I'd like to get to know you, what you're liking, how I can make the show better, and uh, overall how we can make this a better experience for everyone. So until next time, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, signing off. And remember, make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.